Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. The Bible contains a lot of symbolism. Dr. Jennings has often referred to sections of Scripture as theater, God's attempts to teach us something using some very precise and often complex visual aids. On today's broadcast, Dr. Jennings, who joins us via Skype, shares just such a symbol, Christ cleansing his bride. What's that about? Let's find out. Dr. Jennings, the time is yours. So I want to alert our listening audience that sometime in the next couple of months on ComeAndReason.com, our ministry, we're going to have a new sharing magazine that comes out Mm. entitled The Wedding of Christ to His Bride, Preparing the Church for the Second Coming. Mm -hmm. And so our little podcast today is going to be about that theme. We will definitely not get through what's in that magazine. So we're going to talk a high overview about the the idea and the concepts. But if you want to really dig into this and get the Bible references and walk through it in detail, then watch our website. It's at the layout designer right now. Once he finishes, it goes to print, and we will have those available for free to share with people with a U.S. postal address. All right. So with that in mind, yes, this idea of a wedding, the Bible uses the metaphor of Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. And a wedding is a joyful event in which two hearts unite in love, Mm -hmm. devotion, loyalty, and friendship. A marriage, as God designed, is, hear me now, not a legal declaration, Mm -hmm. but an intertwining of hearts, minds, and selves into a greater whole. It is a holy union of two beings. So godly marriage brings two intelligent beings into a type of oneness that defies human logic, a oneness in which each individual retains their unique identity, but simultaneously under the power of love and trust, they function as a greater whole, a bonded, integrated unit or team that shares same values and principles and methods and motives. So in a holy marriage, each, notice I said a holy marriage, not a legal marriage, okay? In a holy marriage, a person rejoices in the advancement and success of the other person. They celebrate every opportunity to invest in the welfare of their partner. It is a mutually rewarding circle of beneficence in which love flows freely from heart to heart. In such a loving union, the two individuals expand and ennoble and develop and elevate beyond what either could do by themselves, because as you love and invest in another, your capacity for love grows by the exercise of loving and investing in another. And this is what God has designed marriage to be, and it's also what he designed our love relationship with him to be. And so that's the metaphor. But understand this, Charles, healthy marriage requires healthy people. One cannot have a healthy marriage with a cheat or someone who is abusive, or domineering, or controlling, or exploited, or controlled by selfishness. Healthy marriages require individuals to not only have love in their heart, but to also be trustworthy, loyal, and faithful people to their spouse. Yes or no? Absolutely. Absolutely. So with this in mind, then, we understand that for Christ to marry his bride— His bride must be made holy by Christ. Mm. 
She has to become purified and mature and trustworthy in order for Christ to marry her. And so Paul writes about this in Ephesians 5, starting verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ is working to cleanse his bride to prepare her for the wedding. This is part of the salvation process. And if you read in scripture, and I put this in our little magazine, prior to a wedding, there's something that happens first. In the Bible, it happened. We still do it on a society today, and it's called an engagement or a betrothal. People get betrothed before they actually get married. And it says in Hosea 2, 19 and 20, God is speaking. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to make his proposal of eternal union with him, mm-hmm. to be our groom, the one to cleanse us from all that defiles, to bring us back into the bonds of everlasting unity of love with God. The proposal was made by God through Jesus. And we, just like if you proposed to your wife years ago, Charles, you made the proposal, but didn't your wife have to respond to that? Yes, she did. God has proposed this union with him. And he's provided everything to make it successful, but we have to choose to accept it, don't we? Yes, absolutely. That we typically in Christianity call, when we accept Jesus' offer, the proposal, we call that conversion. Mm. When we first accept Jesus and first come to him and our hearts change from running away to accepting his proposal to marriage, then we surrender to him and he comes in and begins the process of cleansing us and preparing us for the union. Mm-hmm. Dr. Zinnick, let me ask you a quick question here before we go any further. You talk about Christ cleansing his bride, and you also talk about his church. What is his church? Identify that for us. The church and the bride are synonymous. They're the same. But is, is, that, a, is that a denomination? Is it the Catholic, the Protestants, the Seventh-day Adventists? What is God's church? The church are all of the human beings who are reconciled to Christ. Ah, good. Okay. All the human beings who have accepted the proposal and allowed him to cleanse them and purify them so that they can be united in the bonds of eternal union with God. So that is not defined by any human institution. Mm -hmm. That's not defined by any denomination or system or a list of creeds. It's defined by what's happening in the heart. So that's what God said both in Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews chapter 8. Notice he says, the time is coming, declares the Lord. It says it in both places, before the, the crucifixion in Jeremiah, and says the exact same thing after the crucifixion in Hebrews 8. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. It says, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. 
and I will be their God, and they will be my people. For no longer will a man teach his neighbor, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. Notice this covenant. What is marriage described as? A covenant. This covenant here is the covenant of coming to know the Lord. When Adam knew his wife Eve, she conceived and gave birth to a son. What happens in a wedding? Two hearts are united in one, and you come to know intimately Mm -hmm. your spouse. Mm -hmm. The covenant that is promised here, the covenant that is to come, a time is coming, the Lord says, when I will make a new covenant. He's describing the wedding. When does the wedding happen? And if you read in Scripture and other places, the Bible talks about a wedding and a wedding supper of the Lamb. A wedding and a wedding supper. We on earth celebrate the wedding at the wedding supper. And the wedding supper happens at the second coming. Mm. And so it says in Revelation, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. After the wedding. After the wedding. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. So the wedding happens before the second coming, whereas the wedding supper is the celebration when we sit down with Jesus and the Father and all the saints through history to celebrate the wedding, Mm -hmm. the wedding being united, the two coming into one. And when two people come into oneness, the two shall be one. What did Jesus say? That the man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one. One. Let no man put them asunder, right? Right. Well, do you know there's an Old Testament ceremony, an Old Testament feast day that describes this as well? It's the feast of at one minute. Atonement, atonement, yes. When two shall come one. And what happened on the day of atonement? That's the day that all the sins are removed, all the defilement, all the defects. In other words, they were cleansed and brought into one mint. That's the wedding. That's what's happening. Mm -hmm. This is the time in which we live right now that God is cleansing his bride and preparing her to stand in his presence. And the Bible says when he comes, we shall see him face to face for we shall be like him. When do the saints experience the cleansing of their hearts and minds from fear, selfishness, guilt, and shame so that they can stand firm in the trials that they will face? Uh, Do they experience that before or or at the second coming? Before, before. Okay. And so this settling into the truth about God, settling into our love and loyalty, like Daniel, who wouldn't be shaken in a lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not turn from their loyalty despite a fiery furnace, Job, who was faithful in all his ways despite the trials and tribulations he went through. These people had become so faithful and loyal to the Lord through the sealing of their hearts into their love relationship with God, they could not be shaken from it. That is what God is going to do for his people before the second coming. He is going to bond us into loyal love to him that we can't be shaken and remove from us anything that would tempt us away from him. That's the wedding. That's the cleansing of the hearts and minds of the people. What are the symptoms of that, Dr. Jennings? We look around at the world, we see just bad things. How can we tell if this is happening? Great question, Charles. So I liked how you said symptoms there because symptoms are the word we use when we're talking about pathology and you connected it with what we look at in the world. The world is sick. 
The world is not of God's kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm. And so you're not going to look into the world and find the transformation of the church by looking into the kingdoms and systems and practices and policies and laws and regulations that are happening in the world because the world is using a different system. That's Satan's system. So you have to look for the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. So you have to look into your own heart and ask, are your heart being united with Jesus so that you're practicing his methods of truth, love, freedom, and openness in how you treat others. And so if you want to see this happening, you're looking at your own relationship and the people that you know, and you're seeing a polarization happening in the world yes. between the systems of the world and those people who practice God's methods. That's what you're actually seeing. And, and historically, there have been three groups of people in the world there have been those who have been sealed or settled into the kingdom of God so that nothing can shake them. And we mentioned a couple of them, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Job, no trial, no tribulation. They'd rather die than betray the Lord. They're faithful, they're loyal, they're settled, they're sealed, they're married to the Lord. There also have been the ones that have been so sealed and settled into the lie and the rebellion that no truth and love would win them. The people who died in the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, eventually Judas got to that point, went out and hung himself. Mm-hmm. And then there's always been a large group of people that kind of waffle in the middle, not really hardening completely against the Lord, not really committing to the Lord. They kind of live that lukewarm state the Bible talks about. As we approach the second coming of Christ, that middle group is being forced by circumstances and events in the world to decide, to make a choice, which kingdom will they align with? They're evaporating and the world is settling into two extremes. You can see this happening. The people who practice the principles of God and the people who won't. All right. Our time has flown by, Dr. Jennings. We're always so thrilled with what you tell us on this program, and we really appreciate you working with us and talking to us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. Comeandreason.com is our website. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.